Hello, welcome to the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast, episode 19. Today I have a very special guest all the way from the United States, David Schwartz. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for Thanks. taking some time to talk to me. How are you doing today? Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it should be fun. I'm doing pretty good. It was a, it was a decent day for work and it's uh, nice outside. It's starting to warm up a little bit, so I'm doing good. Awesome. So... Uh, something that's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast is I've been exploring and connecting with people to talk about the carnivore diet. Um, and the reason I've been so interested in it is because it's had a huge impact on my life. Um, and the reoccurring theme that I'm talking about is it's given me uh, my, what I call my health sovereignty. So it's freed me from being dependent on um, medication and um, yeah, giving me a lot of control over my life um, in that sense. Um, and I found that uh, that also to be the case for a lot of different people for a range of different um, conditions. Um, so in the theme of sovereignty, something I'm really um, interested in um, is cryptocurrencies. And that's something that you're involved with being uh, involved with the Litecoin Foundation. And yes. what I brought, brought you on here today to talk about is your story about how you became interested and how and then why you decided to even make, take the extra step and become involved with the um, Litecoin Foundation. Sure, yeah. So um, maybe just a little background on me first before I guess we get to the crypto part of it. So yeah. Um, you know, brings everything full, you know, full circle. But uh, I, um, I grew up in Wisconsin. I stayed in the same home um, for the first, you know, 18, 19 years of my life. Uh, parents still live in the same house that they built when I was one. So, I mean, it's a house is 48 years old now. They've never moved. Um, I think they're about ready to here in the few, next few years. But um, <clears throat> for me, after that, I went to college for a year and a half. I tried to get far enough away to where I couldn't stay at my parents' house. <laughs> yeah. I had to like forge my own, you know, my own life. Uh, because up to that point, it was pretty conservative. It was pretty, um, um, I don't know, I guess maybe to some people's standards, fairly boring. So uh, I enjoyed it though, but I wanted to try and do something a little different. So problem with that is when you when you reach out into something that you've never been a part of before, you're really relying on the types of people that have been there. Right. Yeah. And so when I first got to, when I first got to college, uh, I sort of hooked up with some guys that were sophomores. So they were in the same dorms with me and uh, they sort of took me under their wing from, from the day my dad dropped me off. Unfortunately, they weren't all, you know, the best examples of how you should be living college life. And, but that's the life that I adopted. And three semesters later, I was already uh, leaving to join the military because I realized that I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, mature enough within that, uh, that environment to handle myself. And I wasn't getting the type of uh, mentorship or leadership that I needed from those around me in order to survive and thrive in it, right? So I figured the best way to reverse that course was to go into the military, which uh, that obviously did. Um, so in January of 91, I ended up joining the military. And, um, you know, I went through, you know, basic training and the training for my specialty, things like that, which was law enforcement and security. 
And then <clears throat> I, I flew over to Germany, which was my first assignment in July of 91. And five days after I got there, I met my wife. So I didn't get a lot of time to sort of probably hook up with the wrong types of people again, which were all over the place at that point, right? Because, um, I mean, when I got there, the, the fifth day I was there, we went to a club, and that was on a Sunday night. So <laughs> that's, not, that's not very normal, you know, in, in most places to go out to a club on a Sunday night, but that's the night that that place was hopping. And so uh, luckily for me, after reinforcing um, sort of uh, what I should be like within the real world, uh, I then latched on uh, with my wife, and we've uh, we've been married since December of '91, so we're going we're already past 28 years married. Um, and I utilized uh, her upbringing, um, my upbringing, and then the people that I that I decided would be good role models for me within the military, and that's helped me um, be able to be a leader and a mentor and a role model for other people now as well. And so then when I retired from the military in 2013, I was a master sergeant in the army. Um, uh, they were preparing or prepping me to go uh, to be a, a sergeant major, which is the highest level within you know, the enlisted ranks within the army. But I just wasn't, I didn't have it in me anymore to do it at that point because we'd have to up and leave again. Um, where we had just only been there for a year. We, I actually got assigned back in my hometown of Madison, Wisconsin, and I would have had to leave again after a year just to go uh, down to Texas for some more training for a year and then leave again. And then the first assignment from there as an E9 would only be for about two years and then leave again. And my kids were at the age where, uh, let's see, so 2013 is seven years ago. My youngest was 10. And we had a 12 year old and then we had uh, two boys that were you know 20 and 18 at that point or 21 and 19 and it just didn't make sense to keep moving anymore so uh, luckily we're back to where I started which was here in Madison so it was real easy to decide to retire at that point and so then you're talking um, you know probably another four years 2017 is when I got into cryptocurrencies and that was really based off of uh, we actually, we had built a house in 2013 when I retired. Um, and then in, by 2017, we had some pretty toxic neighbors around us and we decided that that wasn't where we wanted to stay anymore even though we built our dream home. So we sold it and we were living with my parents for about 15 months. So you can imagine, you know, two dogs, a full family living in the house that I grew up in that was only like 1,600 square feet or whatever. So it got, uh, it got pretty tight for a while, right? But one of the things that I looked at doing at that point was reinvesting where some of my assets were. And I had gotten to the point where I was very uncomfortable with where uh, the stock market was at that point. So it was around 20,000, 21,000. I just felt like it was just really bloated. Yeah. And I didn't feel comfortable leaving my money in there anymore because I, I just felt like at some point here in the future, this, this just can't sustain itself and we're in for a, a bear market and we were pretty much due for one almost at that point anyway and so i've been reading some articles about bitcoin at the time <clears throat> and uh, i had seen some before maybe around 2013 or so um but i didn't pay too much attention to it because the media was pretty much discounting it and so 
I discounted it because that's what I was being told. Uh, boy, I wish I would have yeah. had my own mind, you know, my, my own mind at that point. Because everything I had done to that point um, was I had, I had read and watched a lot of financial things in order to get my stock portfolio where it was by 2013. And I trusted what I read. Right? So when they said this is, uh, this is something that's used for illegal you know, nefarious things and it's, you know, it's going to be a bubble and it's going to go back down to zero and it's just not worth taking real money and putting it into. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's, I'm not going to do that. But come 2017, it's around August, July, August of 2017. And I had been reading a couple articles about it and I kept thinking, this is the stuff that I read where it was, you know, I don't know how many times less for Bitcoin at the time. And what I was reading in 2017, so you're talking about July, August. And I was like, you know what, I think I'll maybe just I'll take a little bit of what I have in stocks since I'm not trusting where it's at right now, and I'll, I'll dip my toes in it a little bit. And so I did that. I opened up a Coinbase account, and I was kind of just fooling around with it a little bit. And then I started reading about the technicals, right, all the things that have to do with you know, why it is what it is and why it was built and who are the people in the space and what do they mean to it. You just start going down that rabbit hole and it was so uh, eye-opening and invigorating to me to see something um, because we would send money back and forth, my wife being German and, you know, we knew people in a few different countries. If we were to try and send something to them, you know, we'd use PayPal or something else. And I mean, it was okay, but it was, it cost money and we were like, this is really, they really gut you, like, you know, when they send your money. I'm trusting you with my money. And so then you're going to, you know, take a big chunk of that off and then give the rest to whoever I wanted it to go to. So now you have to try and figure out, okay, if I really want them to have this amount, I'm going to have to add this much more because they're going to take their piece of it, right? And so um, I wanted to try and experiment what it was like to really move some Bitcoin from one place to another. And so when I was on, on Twitter at the time, I was just very new to it still, and I just met a few people and I was like, can I just, you know, send some so I can see how quickly it The person lived in Australia too. Wow. So, you just sent yeah. Bitcoin to a random person. Well, I mean, it was random. <laughs> At that point, I felt like I knew them, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I, so, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'd never met them, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, I'm sending Bitcoin to a random person. But, and so, I did it and it was like, I was like, all right, so tell me when you get it. And so, then, you know, sent it and they're like, Three, four seconds later, they're like, all right, I already got it. And I was like, what do you mean you already got it? <laughs> like, it's right here. You know, I can show you the confirmation. They show it to me. And I'm like, that is just freaking amazing. And there was nobody else in the middle, right? And that's the moment where I thought, this is something that could really develop into a real world, you know, problem fixer. And so I started you know, trying to learn more about it. And then I was learning, of course, about different cryptocurrencies. So then I found out about Litecoin, Ethereum, and a few others. But I really kept getting drawn back to the Litecoin side of things because the community was so strong and they were very friendly. And when I had questions, they were always very, very nice. It didn't matter how, you know, what I thought was a dumb question. They didn't care. They would answer it, right? I didn't always get that from the Bitcoin community. For whatever reason, sometimes people would just act like you're really stupid. They would give you an answer maybe, or sometimes they wouldn't. And they would just come back with a reply like DYOR and that's it, nothing else, right? 
but it's hard to DYOR if you're looking in the wrong places and you don't know any better, right? So to me, being in the military, the worst thing I could ever do to a soldier of mine when they asked me a question was just simply go, go figure it out, right? Because you can go figure it out completely wrong and think that you're right. And it's going to take a lot more effort from me to try and correct you that way than if I would have just given you the, you know, the documents or the standard procedures or whatever ahead of time, right? I don't have to do all the work after that, but I could at least say, these are the areas that you need to look in to find the answer that you're looking for. And when you find that answer, you come back to me and you let me know and I'll tell you if you're right or not. Yeah. Right. So I'm not asking for people, random people on Twitter to do it exactly like that, but you can at least steer people in the right direction and be like, if you really want to know about it, this is where you need to go. And if you want to see what the opposite is, this is where you would want to go look. Right. And then you can compare. That's what the Litecoin community did for me. And I, I really appreciated that. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I started looking more into that. And that's when I read about Charlie and I, you know, uh, Charlie Lee being the creator of it and a few of the other people that were involved in the foundation that was actually brand new. I didn't know any better, but it was like literally months new at the time. And so um, after December of 2017, when we had the large spike um, and it was starting to come down, uh, I had gotten more and more involved in trying to push for some adoption. So I would go out and I would actually go talk to some stores. I'd record it. Um, I would go around tipping waiters and waitresses and record it put it on Twitter and stuff. And uh, a few of us decided that we wanted to try and volunteer for the foundation. And so we just reached out to Charlie on Twitter and, you know, he got a hold of us in our DMs and was like, you know, what's your email? We'll invite you to the, to the foundation Slack channel and we were like well this is it so I get in there and and I just it was just amazing so we're sitting there watching people talk back and forth that we had seen on Twitter and they were talking about everything from developing to you know just random stuff you know joking around whatever but it was really cool to be in that space with them yeah and um, and I was just sold after that and I've been a part of the foundation ever since I did the first 10 months for free I just volunteered Um, because I just wanted to be a part of it. And then after the first summit in 2018, um, I helped put the first summit together and run it. And um, and Charlie was appreciative of that. And he asked me if I wanted to come on part-time to work as a, like a project director. And I said, yeah, that would be awesome. Because at that point, I remember driving back to the airport in San Francisco and I was driving with John Kim, who's another guy on Twitter. He supports uh, Litecoin a lot. And he was driving me back to the airport and I was just so bummed, man. I didn't want to talk. I just looked like a, a little sad puppy on the passenger side of the vehicle. And he's about ready to drop me off. And he's like, dude, what's going on? And I'm like, I just, I can't see not doing this all the time. This would be awesome, right? And he's like, yeah, I mean, either. I don't think our lives are ever going to be the same after this. And he was right. And um, so luckily, Charlie got a hold of me and asked me to be, you know, a project director part-time and I've been loving it ever since. And then uh, just a short time ago, him and I decided, uh, John and I decided to create a company to try and help uh, spark adoption for cryptocurrencies. And so um, I created what's called Cornerstone Global Management, LLC. So if you go to cp3me.com, so cp3me.com, 
Um, what we're doing is we're setting up the ability for people to take uh, parts of their salary and actually convert it to cryptocurrency. Um, and then it'll get sent automatically to whatever wallets that they wanted it to go to. So it's kind of like you end up setting up your own automatic um, uh, system for converting your, your pay and then it goes to all the different wallets you want. And then if you want to leave it that way, you can just set it and forget it. If you want to change it every pay period, you can do that. But the, the goal was to try and get rid of all the hard parts of getting into crypto, which was learning what, you know, exchanges are okay. Uh, how does that all work? So what we did is we ended up setting up a, a system to where you just basically go on you figure out how much money you want sent to the account and then you can divide, you know, divide it up into what cryptocurrencies you want and which wallets you want for each of the cryptocurrencies. And then it just goes and then you don't have to do anything else if you don't want to. So dollar cost averaging is a great way of doing it. Yeah. You can send it to places like, uh, you know, staking or loaning places. So um, Celsius is a partner of ours. So we love working with Celsius trying to get all this set up. So that's some place you can have it automatically sent or, you know, a cold storage wallet or wherever else doesn't matter. Um, so that's something that's coming out here and actually the next probably month. So we're excited yeah. about that too, but that's literally where I'm at. And now I'm at the point where I want to start being a leader more and a mentor within the space to where I can coach people and sort of help, you know, people along and, you know, be an advisor and do things like that because I, I, I see, with a new wave of people coming in here after when this next bull run starts, um, they're going to be a lot of people that are just kind of walking around clueless, not knowing what yep. they're doing. All they know is they have some Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever else they buy and what's next. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's incredible. And um, I, I, I can relate to so much of it. And um, speaking at the, Speaking about that time you were talking about when you got more interested in cryptocurrency being around the 2017 period, that was around the same time for me, yeah. like the light bulb switched on. And I remember for me, one of the big motivations was uh, I watched a video by Andreas Antonopoulos. He was giving to like a crowd of people in London and he was sort of describing it. Like I never really thought of uh, like the aspect he was, he was sort of saying like, uh, Bitcoin it was a way for you to like, if you're not happy with your government or something, it was a way to sort of opt out. And mm -hmm. like that, that for me was really powerful because that related to like the story of uh, my parents. They came from like socialist Yugoslavia and they literally came to Australia with, with nothing, not, not, not a dollar. And I thought, wow, if they had this, like, uh, if, if this technology was available then that would have like that that would have had a huge like impact on on their lives and i was just yeah that, that's such like a powerful technology yeah and that that blew me away um and that was one of the aspects and then yeah just that there's so there's so many other um uh powerful potential with this te technology um and yeah i also I also I relate to you. I've also noticed that yeah, the all all of the different uh, cryptocurrencies they have uh, different communities. I, I, I can relate to that idea that um, yeah, the Litecoin um, community is is very friendly, and um, I think the you were talking about the work you've done organizing the Litecoin foundations. I fo I followed. I mean the 
the Litecoin summits. I followed mm-hmm. those. Um, and yeah, really um, great job. I really enjoyed the, oh, the, the last one, especially uh, with Ron Paul, the, the talk yeah. he gave with. That was, uh, that was yeah, awesome. That was, uh, that was great. We were so happy to get Ron. And uh, he was genuinely happy to be there. He enjoyed it. And um, I remember when we had dinner that night with him as well. And it was just a good time sitting around talking about, you know, what exactly is freedom? What does that look like for people from everything from money to just regular life stuff? And uh, he, I remember getting done um, with that dinner. And uh, so Charlie was there and Ben Askren and his wife were there and John and a few other people. And I just remember saying, I can't remember if it was to John or whoever, but I just said that was like having dinner with the smartest grandpa in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was like, everybody just was always focused. Every time he opened his mouth, everybody was just totally focused on him. So yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I bet. Hey, um, because yeah, I, I, I remember watching the, the speech and I was like, uh, that the presentation that he gave um, on YouTube and I thought, wow, yeah, it was really, um, yeah, even for me, I could almost feel like everyone was, um, like the room must have been dead quiet when he was talking and everyone was like, yeah, super yeah. focused. With yeah, his... it was totally packed and completely quiet. Yeah. You could hear a pin drop, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's awesome. Um, and yeah, um, I was also thinking back about what, what you were saying about helping, helping new people in the space in this like uh in this it's kind of like the calm before the storm isn't it how it feels yeah. like um maybe before um before before a boom because i kind of saw it because being there since 2017 i kind of saw the, like a lots of hype and then now it's kind of like all gone not many people yeah like, yeah i think i got it so if it was like august it means I was getting in literally like a few months before that big push and it was fairly quiet for, you know, that time frame when I first got in, right. But there was a lot going on, but it was almost like you could feel there was some little bit of an energy coming in there uh, as each month went by. And then, you know, when December, mid December hit and it just went ballistic and yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I have never been a part of a return this big so fast. Right. Mm. And I remember going on walks with my wife with the dogs and I'd like showing her, I'd show her where we were at on our, yeah. on the Coinbase account. I'm like, <laughs> let me look at that. That's yeah. not anywhere near how much I put in there. Yeah, yeah, and she'd yeah. be like, yeah, maybe we should be selling something. <laughs> I'm like, hell no. We're, right we're going to the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> not knowing how cycles work and yeah. all the, if I would have known that, right. If I would have known that now, it would have been like, okay, this is the target. And I don't care how excited I get, I have to sell at least this amount in order to feel yeah. like it goes down, I'm good, right? I know that now, and so I'm ready for the next one. But for all those people that are going to come in, you know, even if they're coming in right now and they've never experienced that, granted, the real, the real high peak may not happen for another year or so. But, yeah, I mean, whatever happens from now through the end of the year is already going to be a taste for 2021, and into 2022 and the more we can prepare people for that so that they don't feel like they were part of some big ponzi scheme or whatever that's what we need to do because a lot of those people ended up leaving after the 2017 cycle and i feel bad about that because there should have been more people there to say look this is very normal you have to understand now it's going to be some time for you to set up and if you really want to get a 
to be a part of the space. This is the time to do it. The building doesn't happen when everybody's going buck nuts and buying all the, the Bitcoin. Yeah. It's the time before that when everything is in the low. That's when stuff's getting built. That's when partnerships are being forged. That's when people are making networking uh, decisions and stuff, right? And so if we can prepare people better for that, I think it makes an even stronger environment for us after that next run is done and we have another low and people don't feel like they got screwed out of everything that they've, you know, put into it. And that's the other thing. I, I saw so much of everybody going, I'm putting my, my house, I'm mortgaging a second mortgage on my house and, you know, maxing my credit cards. I'm going to get as much as I can. And they're buying it like, for Litecoin, they're buying at $300 Litecoin, which is near the top. And I'm just like, uh, I'm not, I can't do that. I, and I bought most of mine around 50 bucks, right? And I just kept accumulating when I could. Um, but once it started getting past where my highest purchases were, which were around 77, when I started getting past that in 2017, I'm like, I, I'm not touching anymore because to me, if it hit 90, yeah, I made some money, right? That's that's about what I, that would be a really good return in the stock markets when you're talking dividends and other things. So to me, 90 was pretty cool. Um, but when it blew up to like 300 and something, and then I, at one point it flashed all the way up to like 417 or whatever for Litecoin, and then it started, it shot right back down, right? But I was just thinking I have never been a part of a return that fast, and it, it made me freeze. I didn't know what to do next. So. Yeah. Yeah, if I would have been prepared and somebody would have at least told me that, Charlie tried telling people. He yeah. tried telling people. He's like, look, <laughs> you, you be prepared for at least probably a two-year bear market and you might see $20 Litecoin. Yeah. Told everybody up front, right? Because of the way the cycles and everything was laid out, that's probably what was going to end up happening. And sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah. But there's not enough Charlies out there to cover everybody, right? Yeah. To canvas the whole thing. So we need more of that type of a person who's okay with saying, look, if you guys aren't prepared for this, you might want to just get out now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 I, I understand. Uh, it's kind of like that. That's perfect. That's a perfect example of uh, the, the old saying of uh, be, be, be fearful when others are greedy and be um, greedy when others are fearful, yeah. isn't it? Um, and yeah, that, that's one whole aspect of this whole space is just like the, the emotional, like uh, the, just the emotions of the crowd and like uh, what you were saying about how, how easy it is to get caught up in that and um, how easy it is for people to get misled um and it it's it, it's something that um i can relate with you and it's something that makes me think twice when i'm talking to to new people about um about this space um because you're kind of like you're kind of like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't so to speak because it's kind of yeah. like you can tell them about it and then if they sort of if they do get in or if they do not it's kind of like you can be the one you're responsible because it's like you're either responsible because they didn't buy enough or they bought too much and it went up or down and like that that that's something that uh is is difficult um to to deal with because we 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 like uh, people like me and you we can see that this technology has uh am amazing potential and it's kind of like this uh 
this barrier, isn't it? To, yeah. to, to, to getting, to getting more people involved into this, uh, awesome, awesome, awesome technology. Yeah. That, that we're so excited about. Um, and I, th that's also another reason why I, um, why I'm interested in, in Litecoin and the Litecoin community is because something that they're focused on is the adoption aspect. Um, yeah, yeah. is, uh, yeah, getting more people, getting more people involved and getting more people actually, uh, using, using Litecoin and mm -hmm. uh, which, which I think is awesome. Um, because like you were saying, it wasn't until you, you like, you know, you can sit there and read all these articles. Um, but you were saying the big breakthrough for you was when you actually sent it to someone, um, and you realized the, the potential, um, I, I think, uh, I think, I think that's, uh, like, that's always the case. Like whenever you're learning, you can read, but it's not until you actually do something that the actual breakthrough happens. Um, and yeah, did you want to share a little bit, um, with me about, uh, so maybe some of the lessons you've learned or, um, anything about your, the, the approach, um, you've, you've taken, um, for, for adoption increasing adoption and pushing adoption yeah so i think um when i when i first started out um i would just go straight up in the stores and start asking if they knew what cryptocurrency was and if they wanted to try and uh accept it as a as a means of payment not knowing how a lot of the payment processing part worked at that time Right. I just thought a store could go, yeah, sure. We want to start accepting it. But most of the stores would be like, well, we're part of a bigger chain. We'd have to go through corporate. That's not done here. You'd have to contact so-and-so. But even then, really, you're talking about, um, in the end, stores can make a decision like that. But if the payment processor they use isn't open to having any of that added on to their payment processing machines or whatever else they use software, you're probably not going to get anywhere. Right. So, um, getting to meet and talk to and learn from people like Eric Brown from Alliant payments, he's out in Florida. Uh, he's the one that we ended up um, working with to get the Miami dolphin sponsorship. Um, they, they do a lot of payments, right? And they do payments and regular traditional fiat and credit card. And um, Eric, Eric got bit by the Bitcoin bug as well in cryptocurrencies. And so he devoted a lot of his time to, to making sure his company adapted to, you know, pushing cryptocurrencies for payments as well. Um, but getting them onto the machines, uh, it's a big deal. And so I learned that you know, it's, it's great to go into a store and talk to people about it because it gets them to ask questions about cryptocurrencies and maybe they've heard of Bitcoin or Litecoin, but they don't really know how it works or anything. <clears throat> so you can have a conversation with them, but you're probably not going to get too much done there on the spot. Right. And I think, um, I think Johnny Litecoin could probably tell you, John Moore could tell you a lot about that too, because, um, he actually lost customers and, um, and networking friends based off of his push for cryptocurrency. So he's ended wow. up making some big sacrifices in that field as well. So it's not as easy as some people think, but it has to be a, it has to be a grassroots desire to have happen in order to start making changes. Cause it's not going to come from the top now. 
unless somebody at the top is big into it, it's not going to happen. It's going to have to come from people banging on their doors going, we want this to be a part of, you know, the payment system. Yeah. Um, and so even just educating the people that are sitting there in the, um, in the footlocker as the cashier and you talk to them about it, now you've put a seed in their head about it. And maybe next time you go through there, they go, Hey, I read an article about, you know, Litecoin and I thought that was pretty cool. Can you tell me more? I've had that happen. So, um, I learned early on that I wasn't going to change the world just going through the mall at a, at each store that's in the mall and trying to get them to accept it. It was a great experience and it taught me a lot. Right. Um, it was really cool to go into restaurants and tip waiters and waitresses. Uh, I must've given away hundreds of Litecoin already to waiters and waitresses and other people. And that was always a lot of fun because to see, to see them go through it, you know, write down their 12, you know, private keywords and they open up a, a wallet and then you send it to them as a tip and they're like expecting to wait a while and boom, it's there. And they're like, Oh, that was really cool. And I'm like, now watch this price. Well, you know, over the next few days and you'll see it go up and down according to the price of the, of the Litecoin. And then, you know, I'd go back later with my wife or somebody and they'd be like, Hey, thanks a lot for that. That was really cool. I seen it's gone up 10 bucks already from when you gave it to me, Yeah, you know, stuff like that. That was really neat. Um, but now I'm at the point where as the project director, I'm literally talking to companies um, both inside and outside of the space and learning how that all works. And I had never done a lot of business development or things outside of regular project management work, right? Um, I did project management when I was in the military. And when Charlie brought me on, he brought me on to sort of help manage the Slack channel and a few other things. But it sort of morphed into this business development um, partnership uh, sort of role that I'm in now where I'm fielding a lot of the requests to try and partner with, you know, the foundation or, uh, or things like that. And I learned early on, <clears throat> I got really excited when, when sports teams would get a hold of me, right? So a guy from, you know, the Washington Redskins would email me or whoever, and I'd be like, <laughs> showing my wife, I'd go, holy crap, you know? I mean, just a year ago, I, I wasn't even volunteering for the foundation, and now I got, you know, these guys from all these sports teams getting a hold of me. Uh, it was yeah. just amazing, right? Come to find out, though, really, I mean, they're just they're just guys that are trying to find people to fill sponsorships in their stadium or whatever, and it's not really, you know, some of them are serious about trying to figure out how to get crypto involved, and others are just trying to get some money, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the more I got into it, the more I realized uh, there's so much business to the business that there's not as much personal as I would have hoped there was. Yeah. But you do find people, you do find people that are very personal and they're there for the right reasons. Um, and you get both in the crypto space too. There's really people that are just there for the money and then there are really good down to earth people. And you have more of those right now than you do just the money people, but the money people yeah. seem to be glaring and everybody knows them. Right. But there are a lot of good people in this space. And I wish that story got told more um, of the guys that are out there just trying to find ways to bring Bitcoin and Litecoin and other cryptocurrencies to the, to the major places in the world. So it becomes more of a mass adoption phase that we're going through and they're sprinkled all over the place. So, I mean, um, you got guys and yeah, it could be rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, they could be experienced, not experienced. They're all over the place. And 
Alex uh, Mashinsky, he's the guy who runs or owns uh, Celsius. He created Celsius. Guy doesn't, he doesn't need to make any more money. He's a very rich person. He's very well off. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't like the way the banking system is set up. He doesn't like how people get ripped off and he wanted to do something about it. So he set up a company to where the majority of the profits that are made go back to the people that put the money up there. Right. Yeah. So I think that's great. I mean, of course he gets a little bit, it's a company, it's a business, right? But he's not bleeding everybody dry. Like a bank does a bank literally gives you a fractions of a percent Mm. back from what they made off of your money. They're keeping 99%, if not more of it, you're getting the scraps. You're getting the little fat that's around the meat. Yeah. Right. But places like BlockFi, Celsius, and these others, they're not doing that. They're trying to give more back uh, to the people who actually put the money up for that. Yeah. So I, I think that's good. And then you have uh, other companies that just, I've talked to so many of them now, it's, um, it's reinvigorated me after dealing with the companies outside of the space first. So I'm much more knowledgeable on how all that works. And I used to get really excited about talking to certain people. And now it's, I understand more about it. And Charlie was a great help in that because I'd come back and be like, oh, this deal looks really good. They're doing X, Y, and Z. And they want to, you know, and he'd be like, where's the integration? Where are we actually integrating Litecoin into anything? Where is it actually being utilized? If we're not getting any kind of a return. And, you know, X, you know, X, Y, Z might look good to most people if that's all they're trying to do is market, but we're trying to bring about mass adoption and education. It's got to happen through integration, people using it, getting their hands on it, doing stuff with it, right? Making it more practical. And so after I, I grasped that more, you know, then my, my, my thoughts on what, you know, what to bring in for possible deals changed and it matured. So, um, yeah, I think that's where I'm at now is I'm really trying to make a difference, not only through the foundation um, globally, but then also to try my own hand at it after watching other people, um, you know, make attempts to to bring crypto into regular places. So John and I thought, you know, what's one of the best places to do that? You do that through when people first get their money and try and make it as normal as possible, just as, as normal as when they receive their paycheck and they spend it. When they, when they, you know, convert it over to crypto, it should be just as easy. It shows up wherever they want it to be and they can do whatever they want with it. That's how it should be. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. And it really makes me think about what you were talking about, like the, uh, remembering why, why, why we're interested in cryptocurrency. It's like, we all have this like core moment where the, the light bulb switches on for us. And, um, I think, yeah, I, I can relate to what you were saying. Like uh, now is the time when you sort of see uh, sort of like the tides come in, it's washed away a lot of the people that are here, for yeah. maybe just the money or something like that. And um, there's a big, like, uh, like a, almost like a philosophical aspect of like, what, what does it really mean? And there's certain values that are, uh, are, are promoted and, it's I, I'm just sort of relating it to some of the people I've been talking to about like the within the carnivore community. And one of the reasons why that community is so healthy is because uh, we, we the, I noticed the community is focused on um, there's no dogma and it and it's um, focused on better health and improving people's health. People, yeah, um, people, people being able to live better. Um, 
uh, and live better lives, yeah, and have a better quality of life. And I see um, it's kind of like, and then there's these sort of like philosophical questions, like well, what is actually food? Like a lot of the stuff you see at the store, like the packed with sugar and stuff, it's sort of yeah. like evolved over time. Um, certain myths that have been uh, promoted to us from our um, from our parents and passed down about food and nutrition and education system. And I see some of those parallels the same um, in maybe the cryptocurrency space and like asking the fundamental question to ourselves, like what, what is money? Um, how has it uh, evolved over, over the past hundreds of years? And um, how does it, how, how can it, how can it help us in, improve our like financial health like you were saying is it is it working for us or against us like the example you brought about uh celsius and the ceo um highlighting the fact that a lot of these uh banks are taking advantage of people um using their money to keep a lot of the the profits for themselves and yeah. a lot of us we're, we're just um we're just not uh we're just not aware because we, we don't know and we th we think it's normal a lot of this stuff is um is being normalized in the way we we just think it's normal that like uh, our bank might take uh advantage of us and um yeah that that's really sad but like the i see a lot of potential for for that to change and i think that there's that powerful like draw you were talking about and one of the things is like unfortunately it's like people people love making money and when they see the number go up that's uh that's really important i mean that's yeah, something that, that 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 that's like a magnet that really draws people in like it's just because that's because it's natural yeah right it's natural so whatever is natural for us is a trigger yeah it's just the same with food right so um you know, there's certain things when you eat certain foods, it triggers certain things going into your brain and your body. And, and um, whether it's good or bad, it triggers something, right? So greed, greed is, is something that triggers people, um, good or bad, right? But when you see you put $50 into something and now it's $150, that, that triggers something for you. And so yeah. the, the, the problem is being able to being able to understand and appreciate that, but also know that that's not the end result for why this was made to begin with. It wasn't yeah. made for you to become rich. It was made for you to become free. Yeah. You know, it was made for you to become free from a system that, uh, perfect example is what's going on right now. You know, I mean, quantitative easing times a billion going on in the States. I mean, they're just printing money ad nauseum and they've said that they can print as much money as they need to right yeah and that just breaks the system even further my daughter she my youngest daughter is 17 and a half and some of the things that we've been talking to her since we've been down this road is how exactly banks work you know fractional lending what is that why is it a bad thing you know there's bad credit and there's good credit whatever you know good credit can be usually but good credit is going to be like a, a house some kind of real estate something that's not going to lose its value per se right yeah or something that's so much good credit for a company would be something where if they borrow it's because they're trying to create a revenue stream yeah and that revenue stream then becomes something that grows their company that's that's okay but if yeah. you're borrowing money as a company just to keep afloat or to, to do things, you know, buy 
things for the, the, the office that aren't necessarily bringing back a return, that's bad. That's bad, yeah. bad. And so uh, teaching young people how that works as well is not something that always happens in public schools. They, they kind of brush over things, you know, just like they brush over geography. And then after, you know, a year, you already forgot where, you know, this country's capital was or whatever. Yeah. Because it's not really, it was never really important to begin with. It was something that had to be done in order to take a test so that you can say, I know this. Right. Yeah. But it's not something that sticks with you. So what we want to do is we want to try and teach things that are going to stick with them. Right. Yeah. Um, compound interest. That's a big deal. Compounding interest for, especially for a young person, you know, my son's just, it's just getting to him now. He's like 25, 26. My oldest is 27, 28. And he got it a little while back, but he's one of those guys. He can't hold a dime in his pocket save his life for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. The second one, he, he's more, he's more conscious of that. And he's like, I wish I would have realized that a lot earlier because now, you know, what's one of the things they always say is if you start when you're 18, you just put 50 bucks away a month or whatever. By the time you're 60 something, you have X amount. Right. Yeah. And that's based off of the old legacy system. That's not even based off of what we're trying to put people into. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just certain things that some people will tell you they're your friend and they want to help you uh, get further along in, in the monetary system. And it's really, it's a, it's not so. So banks are not necessarily your friend because they're charging you to keep your money, not even in their bank. They're charging you to, to give them money to give to other people yeah. that they may or may not have later on. Right. That's why even um, uh, the Fed over here was telling people, uh, your money is safe in the bank. Don't go on a don't go on a bank run and start taking all the money out. Because yeah. It's good where it's at because they know it's not there. Yeah. Right. So you can't go physically get your money because the majority of it is just a bunch of digits on a screen yeah. that they're not even accounted for. Yeah. So if you try if you go on a bank run. You, you have another, you have another riot on your hands. You have 1929 all over again. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I can relate to you. And then it makes you, then when I really think about, well, then what is, uh, what is my bank account? Like you were saying, it's like these digits in an app that like, uh, I see and uh, cause as long as it works and I can go and like, you, um, tap my card around places. Yeah. Um, it feels real and that's, that's, that's all that matters. Right. Um, yeah. And, um, the, the thing that's, uh, that I, that I think about is, um, well, you know, these, are these are like private companies, these, a lot of these banks and, um, the way you spend your money tells, tells a story about you. Um, like, you know, the idea of whenever follow the money, um, uh, says a lot about a person almost more than like, say the data Facebook might have on you. Um, I think your money tells a lot, a lot more powerful story, and that, and that comes. Yes. In, yeah, I was going to take it into yeah the the aspect of privacy um, to do with yeah. that money. Yeah. yeah, Facebook Facebook tells a story of what you like. Your bank account tells a story of what you value. Yeah, you know what's valuable to you. Put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. Because you can you can go around and say certain things. I don't know. Just this example of the whole Facebook about like uh, you support certain causes or this or that. Um, 
but I think the true, um, you know, nothing says anything more than where, than where you put your money um, and what, how you spend it. Um, that is like the true, that, that, that says, that says, that says everything. Um, and so these, so yeah, I, I wanted to sort of explore this idea of like um, privacy as we're sort of entering, um, we're entering into this world where, for example, the, the coffee shop down the road from my place at the moment, it's got a sign that says, we don't accept uh, cash at the moment. Um, yeah because of the health and safety risks with all the stuff going on now. Um, yep. They just, they just accept card. Um, so it's kind of, uh, we're already here. And I think um, Litecoin is in an interesting position to, um, to be like a alternative option for us to keep, keep some of the privacy. I, I don't know. I, I, I know a little bit about the fact about the the proposed pl plans for Mimble Wimble, um, mm -hmm. which uh, might might sound funny to someone who's never heard of it before. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like a Harry Potter reference. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how that will how that's a proposed plan for us to have uh, stronger privacy when when we use Litecoin. Yeah, and it'll be opt-in. It'll be like like now, like you said, when you use your card, right? It's, it, you can see where you spent it, how much you spent, how often you spent. That aspect would still be there, but you could have the opt-in where um, that gets concealed, right? mm -hmm. how much it was, which is a big deal because, you know, over time, if you can track all the, all the crypto that goes into a specific wallet and you can track how much of it goes out, you know, how much is in that wallet? Yeah. Right. And if somebody's sending somebody else six Bitcoin, that's a pretty hefty amount of money. And yeah. if they're sending them six Bitcoin, they probably have some more. Yeah. So then that becomes a, a an address that people can target. Yeah. And so there there's a legitimate reason to have something like opt-in privacy because it gives you that element of cash being handed over from one person to another. It's the electronic version of handing over cash from one person to another and nobody else has to know how much that amount was. Yeah. So that's yeah. very important. Um, and, and last night we had, we had a stream, a live stream with John and I, John Kim, John Moore and Didi Taihutu was on there. And I don't know if you know him, but he's uh, the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin guy. So his, his family, they travel all over the world. They live off of Bitcoin. He spoke at the summit and um, he said the same thing. The Netherlands, there, I mean, everything is cashless now. You can't use cash as well. And many more countries are going to go to that. So, you know, being able to spend your crypto on a card like everybody else spends their regular money is a big deal. And it's a good transitional, you know, um, way of, of being able to spend that crypto that you want to spend. Um, but I just, I think, I think at some point there's going to have to be a bigger transition over into where crypto stays within crypto. It doesn't have to go back to fiat. Yeah. Right. And I don't know when that will occur, um, but it's, it's got to happen in order for us to keep progressing in our yeah. adoption. And so, yeah, I agree with you. And that's like, that's got to happen for us to like keep the qualities of uh, cryptocurrency that we're excited about. So you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like what I was saying. It's kind of like when I, when I use my card, you know, there's no guarantee that this, 
uh, that my bank is not sort of collecting all that data and there's, there's just that, it just turns into a honeypot, right? And there's temptation, I mean, for them to maybe sell it to certain people because that data is pretty interesting, like we were saying about, mm -hmm. it tells stories about customers. The other side is it turns into a honeypot for, for someone to maybe hack into and use. Um, but the, the, the cool thing is, is like um, once we, we make that transition to just peer-to-peer -peer and like these uh, cool technologies that are being developed to add to Litecoin, that's something that's really powerful that can allow us to keep our sovereignty, um, yeah. which I think is really cool. As we move into this more digital age, um, which is like you were saying, so many places all over the world, we're, we're already here where um, cash is uh, not, not it's sort of like becoming less socially acceptable um in, in for some in some use cases and so how far how far are you away from the gold coast um quite far it's on the it's on the eastern side uh, opposite um, side oh yeah okay. yeah um, yeah i said that because you know that they're like really they're big into crypto so there's supposedly quite a few stores yeah um, and things on the Gold Coast. Um, there's even, I can't remember, the town is called, I think it's called 1776 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, there's like, that's a, I think there's like a postcode of like a place that. Uh, yeah, and like the whole town, they they advocate for crypto. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of that. Um, the There's, it's related to this business I know that is, uh, they, they do, um, so I know there's also a business from Australia. I'm also I've also forgot their name about, but they make it really easy to book flights and hotels. Yeah, travel by bit. Travel by bit. Yeah, they're yeah. great. Um, and yeah, there's also like I know there's Living Room of Satoshi. That's another um, Australian company that allows you to pay your bills um, with uh, with cryptocurrency. And they I I think they also have like a sort of like a merchant solution that allows people to like integrate into their point of sale system um and like yeah really easy to accept um crypto and then they they don't even they can, they can all you know like most of the point of sale systems it can do the thing where it just converts it all to um settles in your bank account and it's yeah, like, you, yeah. You don't and even i think the brisbane worry. the brisbane airport is pretty yeah yeah they do that there, there, I've heard. there. Yeah. yeah so that's some um that's some cool stuff we've got in in australia as in like yep. uh crypto cryptocurrency adoption um yeah and you're gonna need it because your your um your government's a bit uh, nosy in what everybody is doing and stuff so yeah so speaking about that they sort <laughs> of um i don't know if you've heard but one of the things they've proposed here about because the everything's sort of been shut down here kind of like um and one of the things they've sort of proposed as like a possible solution to get everyone um back out there again and this um and the idea that they want to make a government app um, like an, and that you could download on your phone as like, a, and, and that's like a tracking thing. So then if you were to get into contact with someone that was decided to like have tested positive for the virus, they could um, do like the contact tracing, which is, no. uh, it's a scary, it's a scary no. thing that that's uh, yeah. act actively been um, talked about. And um, yes, they're seriously considering it. They operate out of fear. Yeah, people, yeah. When people are in fear, it's the easiest time to do whatever you need or want to do to them. So exactly. Um, yeah, I really want to thank you for coming on today and chatting with me. Um, 
I think we we've touched on a lot of things. Is there anything else you you um you maybe wanted to share before we wrap it up? I just uh, I would invite anybody um, who wants to try and learn some more uh, about cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin and Litecoin specifically, because to me you're talking about decentralized, um, non-manipulated uh, money for the people, right? So I've heard a lot of people say lately, gold is God's money. Well, crypto is uh, the people's money. Yeah. Okay. And so if you want to learn more about Litecoin or Bitcoin uh, and how that's decentralized and why it's decentralized and how it functions, um, uh, just go ahead and ask me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at, uh, at DaddyCool1991. Don't ask me why I have that handle. <laughs> it's yeah. just something that, you know, at the time is... It was interesting, yeah, uh, interesting story, but there was a song from the 70s. It was a disco song, and uh, uh, it was about Daddy Cool. And it, it, it played a lot in Germany, and so my kids knew it when they were really, really young, and they just thought it was cool because I was their dad, and I was cool, so they would sing Daddy Cool, right? So I kept the, I kind of kept the nickname and stuff. Come to find out later, it's, it's meant for a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> I don't care. I, I, I take it as I take it as what my kids thought it was. Right? So yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. So at Daddy Cool nineteen ninety one is my handle on Twitter, and it's also my handle on Telegram. Um, so if you ever want to just reach out to me or whoever's out there and they want to talk, just uh, just let me know. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. It was really nice. I I enjoyed it. <laughs>